0: Your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Dustin Mel Nathan Lutz, and Russell Guest. Coming now, to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Brian Fry, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Nathan Lutz, and our guest, Andrew Newman
1: it's been great music is coming back i'm getting to play concerts again meet people go outside take trips it's spectacular all right that sounds great
0: andrew how you doing uh doing quite well southern california so uh that is always nice
1: right on right on
0: yeah before we get started here nathan what's the last movie you watched man
1: you know what? I'm gonna cheat here and mention that I just started the Loki TV series and I'm pretty excited about that from uh, from Disney Plus. So yeah.
0: I try to be very uninformed with when those shows start. That way when someone mentions it, I'm like, Oh, I bet I got at least one or two episodes saved up.
1: I think you I think you do. I think there's a second episode.
0: So
2: I will be watching uh, it as soon as we are uh, done recording that podcast.
0: Right on. Well, what is the last movie or and or television show you watched, Andrew? Uh, Shutter Island. Ooh. Oh. Good choice. The DiCaprio?
2: Yeah. I'd yeah. seen it back when it first came out. One of those where like think it was, you know, like a house party. So I'd like you know, sure. wasn't I wasn't like watching it, watching it the same way. And uh really good movie, really great acting. I remembered what the twist was, you know. Like not pretty early on, but uh you know, person I was watching with didn't So, uh, you know, it's nice when you're like, oh, I like they don't know what's coming. They don't know what's coming.
3: Yep. Uh,
0: Excellent. No, I uh, I saw that one in theaters and it's one of those.
2: What's what's that? One of the first.
1: (laughs) It's this weird place where people go to breathe on each other and sit within six feet of each other for prolonged periods of time.
0: So, the last thing I watched was was actually a rewatch. I rewatched The Highwayman on Netflix, starring Costner and Woody Harrelson. And I'm such a huge fan of that movie. Um, if you've ever seen the early movie, Bonnie and Clyde, where, where Costner's character is the villain, uh, it's, it's super fascinating to me to see the other way around. If you're a fan of the Bonnie and Clyde movie, you may want to consider watching this just to have uh, both sides of the coin. That sounds interesting. I didn't you know I don't think I've ever actually seen the Bonnie and Clyde movie. It's good too. I mean they're both good movies.
1: Well, it sounds like this is a wonderful constellation of crime-related movies. Ah, crime. Good old crime. Leads in well to our movie of today. Right. And what are we talking about watching today? Today we are talking about The Long Goodbye, 1973.
0: Yeah, this was a cool movie. I had not seen this before. But uh, this was starring Elliot Gould, Nina Van uh, Pallant, Sterling Hayden. It was 1973, did about 959 k in the box office. Budget was about $1.7 million. Uh, the number one movie that year was The Exorcist. Uh, the IMDb rating for this is 7.6. Rotten Tomato Meter is 93 with an audience score of 88. Uh, do we feel like uh, that, that's ballpark good for this
1: movie, Nathan? You know, I think that this movie seems to be one of those things where this is almost designed for critics to love and audiences to maybe be a little unsure of, which I think, you know, that makes sense for how it performed.
0: I, you know, I can get behind that. I'll get a little bit into that here in just a second. Andrew, what do you think? Do you think
2: that seems about right? Or I I think that's a completely accurate score. It holds up in the sense of all the acting is quality, the directing is quality. But then you can also see if you've watched a lot of, you know, movies in the past 30 years, where this movie has influenced so many other movies. So I think from that standpoint, you can see why it holds up well because, you you know, it's one of those things where you can see that, you know, your favorite, this might be your favorite director's movie. Yeah, like his favorite movie.
0: Yeah, and, and I, um, I think I, I kind of got that same vibe that Nathan's talking about where you're like, you know, There there were a lot of decisions that you could tell got made during this movie, whether it's length or adding a scene, that really does make this fall into that, you know, maybe this isn't for everybody. Uh, I personally think this could be for everybody, depending on what you're, you know, as long as you're not walking into it looking for something
1: different. Yeah, if you are a lover of crime and noir films, I think that this is a really unique feeling movie. It has both the darkness that you expect in a noir film but also it's playing fast and loose with a lot of things characters act in extreme ways uh the character of Marlowe in particular is very done with all of the antics of the people around him and he acts in a very specific way so that even when a lot of the tropes would suggest that this is really dark and situation is really serious, there's something about the way that Elliot Gould chose to act this movie that keeps it from ever being too self serious, but at the same time calls attention to sort of what a lot of these different situations are imposing on him. So I think that to some extent this is definitely a critic's movie.
2: Andrew? Uh, I think that regarding it being a critic's movie, I think it may sell it a little short. I find Gould to be a lot of fun. I like that the director doesn't mind taking the time to have some of these longer scenes, particularly in the beginning, where, you know, like everything involving his cat, right? <laughs> yeah. It and him going to the grocery store, like, you know, that whole and then trying to trick his cat. That whole scene is something that I don't think most directors nowadays would do because They'd be like, no, the audience needs something faster-paced, you know, to, to intro a movie, thinking like uh, The Dark Knight, the, you know, the break-in scene. Always start these
1: movies with
2: some big action set piece. Yeah, and this movie was like, no, 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 we've got a story to tell. We're going to take our time. We're going to do it.
0: Yeah. It's a good story. And, you know, that's a smart cat, since you brought up the cat. I, I really feel like when I watched it the first time... I really thought he was trying to poison that cat at the beginning. Not on purpose, but that was going to end up being what happened with that concoction he was trying to put together. Oh, dear. Now, well, having never owned a cat, you know, that could be like catnip he was making there, and it just ended up being a really picky cat. That's a good question. It just, it
2: seemed uh, very dangerous. Oh, you mean what he's doing? Oh, well, the whole idea behind it is that his cat will only eat the one type of cat. They're out of it at the grocery store, so he's trying to replace it with something else make the cat cake is coming from that same can. And the cat's smart enough that he can smell and goes, no, that's not the stuff I want. Oh, no, no.
0: I, I get all that. I'm just saying watching him put the ingredients together, I was like, there's no way that can be healthy for a cat.
3: <laughs>
0: like, I was just concerned for the cat. You you have cats eat? Uh, cats eat like everything. Apparently everything. So, yeah. <laughs> Again, never had a cat. So... So we're going to take uh, just a short minute for an advertising break. Just a warning. We have spoilers ahead. Be prepared. Having, or have, uh, have a second to uh, pause and watch the movie if you hadn't already. And we'll be right back. Like you. What happens when two modern film fans go back and rewatch all the old classic films from yesteryear to see if they hold up? You get the Classic Film Jerks Podcast. Find the Classic Film Jerks Podcast on all the major platforms. All right, welcome back, Lords, Ladies, and Knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We've got a plot summary on its way, so one last chance. Spoilers ahead. Please hit pause if you don't want it ruined. Nathan, bring us in with a
1: pot summary. Three o'clock, one brooding Los Angeles morning. Terry Lennox arrives on the doorstep of Philip Marlowe, private eye, Marlboro man, and cat lover with a request. He needs a ride, no questions asked, to Tijuana. Marlowe, figuring it can't be anything too serious, makes the drive for his friend. But when he gets back, the police are waiting to take him in for questioning. Lennox's wife is dead, and his car is still at Marlowe's property. But just as things are looking bad for Marlowe, news reaches the station that Lennox has confessed to the murder and committed suicide, buried as a pauper in Mexico. Sure that there is more to the story, Marlowe smokes his way onto a missing husband case for a client named Eileen Wade, who he knows to have been familiar with the Lennoxes. Just as he starts making headway, however, he gets another nighttime visit from a gangster named Augustine, who demands Marlowe return the money Lennox owes him. Now Marlowe thinks his friend must have just escaped death, fleeing for his life to Mexico. With this information, Marlowe travels to Mexico, expecting to find Terry Lennox in hiding, but the local police confirm the suicide with photos. Stymied, Marlowe returns to LA and finds Eileen's alcoholic husband, Roger Wade, and learns from her that Sylvia Lennox has had an affair with him. Given Roger's violent behavior, Marlowe feels sure that it must have been Roger, but the police say it is impossible. All the time Roger was missing, he was accounted for at a private detoxification resort. Soon after, Marlowe is confronted by Augustine and his gang demanding the return of his money. Things are looking bad for Marlowe, but at the last moment, the money mysteriously reappears. Running outside, Marlowe catches sight of Eileen Wade, driving away. Putting two and two together, Marlowe returns to Tijuana to confront the local police a second time, who this time admit to helping Lennox fake his death and move to a luxurious exile. Marlowe finds Lennox, who admits the obvious. He killed his own wife, though because she was threatening to expose his gang activities. Marlo does the obvious thing too, killing Terry and playing the world's smallest harmonica in regret for his lost loyalty. Excellent, excellent, excellent. The accent evolved. <sighs> Not an accent, within about a paragraph.
0: <laughs> I really wanted to do like a dub over, like a. Ba-na, ba-na, ba-na. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah so uh how do we feel about the evolution of the plot of this movie
2: Andrew, uh i think it's quite a bit of fun in that it just seems like these at first these things are very disparate you know it's like there's something going on with his friend and you has got this other case and then when everything kind of there's a gangster and it's kind of like what and then all of a sudden it all ties together and you're like oh
0: okay When I do like an over monologue that just says, bourbon in hand, pinky out, I thought to myself, well, who hasn't asked a friend for a last minute ride to Tijuana in the middle of the night?
1: You know, it's really funny watching, re-watching this movie and knowing exactly what's going forward, you look at some of the actions that, for example, Terry is taking and at the beginning of the movie, he's driving in this car and his hands are covered in blood. So he puts these gloves on and his face is all scratched up. So he has to go get that dealt with before he can talk to Marlowe. And it's like, well, yeah, he even mentions to Marlowe in a certain tone of voice. Oh, I need to get out of town after my wife. And I'm just going to run over that and ask you to drive me out. And Marlo just never asks. So it's very interesting how he takes a long time to really start considering this into something that might be serious. And then by the time he does, he's already very swept up in it.
0: I think both of you should ask everyone you know over the course of the next two weeks to drive you to Tijuana and see which, if anyone, does it, no questions asked. Like, Who's the first one that picked up their keys and said,
2: all right, let's go. I mean, I'm pretty sure that if I
0: asked Mark, he'd probably take me. I have no doubt in my mind.
2: <laughs> I mean, Tijuana is not that, it was only a couple hours away from you. Me. I mean,
0: yeah, and that's the thing. This happening in LA, I understand that piece of it. So I understand that it's not that big of an ask. But at the same time, if you're asking someone to drive you to
2: Tijuana in the middle of the night. I got the feeling that, this wasn't the first time that two of them had taken a trip somewhere together and, like, that this is something that they had done before so that it wasn't out of the blue, you know? Like, that, that's how it came across to me, that this was like, oh, okay, like, yeah, he had a fight with his wife and he wants to get out of town. This has happened before, we've done this, this isn't, like, a big deal. That's how it came across. Yeah,
1: I think this film tries to do a fair amount to establish that there is some pre-existing relationship, both in their kind of almost secret handshake sort of thing with the dollar bill and with other things about um, Ellie Gould's facial acting during the interrogation scene when he's told, oh, this is what is supposed to have happened, that Terry Lennox must have killed his wife, and he gets this look on his face like, oh, that's impossible. I, ha- This friend of mine, I know he couldn't have done this. So, I don't know. I I buy, based on the beginning of this movie, that they have some sort of shared past that would in Marlowe's mind really justify his trust.
0: I, I really need there to be a gimmick store in LA where you go to buy driving gloves, but it's going to be like, it's clearly a glove store, but it's called something like when a problem needs to go, a problem
1: needs a long goodbye.
0: Yeah. I I just, I feel like every movie it's like, it's like, Oh yeah. Bloody hands. We'll put the gloves on. I mean, they could even have, like, a Wall of Fame where they've got, like, Terry Lennox gloves, O.J. Simpson gloves. Like, where are the ones the stars wore?
2: I think I've got a better name. How about Dirty Deeds? <laughs> dirty Deeds? Yeah, you know, Dirty Deeds on Dirt Sheep, dc
0: Yeah, I, I got it. I feel like it needs to have something auto-related, though, so you could be like, ah,
1: they're still driving. You know, gloves. I feel like that the story has missed promoting. its calling because if you're doing that, you could have really had a real breakout this last year and sold like all famous crime masks. Well,
0: you would have to have the presidents from point break. So uh, how are we feeling about the casting of this movie? I mean, we've got some, some, some winners here. I thought a lot of this was a really fun movie, but before I get into my take, uh, Nathan, why don't you give me your thoughts on, on the cast? It's really
1: enjoyable. Some of these characters who have really intense personalities. So, you know, other than the headliner characters, who obviously, Elliot Gould is amazing as Marlow, and has this incredibly specific, distinct personality. You also get people like Roger Wade, who you really feel like this is a guy who's very lost, who doesn't really have control over himself, and is being played really big and dynamic. And you're kind of worried that he might fly off the handle at any moment, and you really believe that. And then that translates and and that's helped along by the way that Eileen Wade's performance is going with how, how she plays off of that. So it seems like these things are working really well together with basically the whole cast.
0: Yeah, I'll definitely agree on that. I thought he played an alcoholic uh, really well. Uh, Just the way that he acted the part, the, the uh, sudden bursts of anger or, um, you know, just being very verbose and that sort of thing. So I don't know. I I I appreciated the acting prowess of, uh, or maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was just tanked the whole time.
1: I don't know. Maybe maybe he had been completely put under the spell of a crack doctor hypnotist guy.
0: We all need one of those in our lives. Andrew, how are you feeling about this cast? The first thing you should do is
2: say it's, uh, you know, the dad from Friends.
0: <laughs> That's how everybody knows. Though. This is probably as good a time as any to let everyone know that I neither watch nor
1: like Friends. And I also have not watched Friends. But how do you know you wouldn't like it?
0: Well, excuse me. I've seen episodes of Friends before. I have not watched it in its entirety, and I do not prefer it as a sitcom.
2: Ah, The Saber. I want want no association with these heathens. Ah, The Saber. I, uh, I apologize for being associated with these people who have just such horrible taste or one of the greatest sitcoms of all time.
1: The hate mail cometh.
0: Yeah. Just a quick segue on this too. This is funny. I was literally at work the other day and we got all of this friends memorabilia and stuff in to sell. And I was like, all right, that's fine. That's fine. And then we started getting the Seinfeld stuff. And I was like, I will not stand for this. What's your problem with Seinfeld? I equally Seinfeld is not funny. He's he's, he's, he's he, there's there's not there's the, yeah he's got
2: nothing. I don't think that he is actually that funny. What I think is so funny is him being so neurotic, and his the three other actors are typically where the laughs, it, particularly George. I'm sorry, but George is, that- is hilarious. All right, well that's fine, but why do
0: shows insist on making you suffer through one person who's supposed to be the star? In order to hear three people that could run circles around around them comedically.
2: You mean How I Met
0: Your Mother? I I was talking directly about Ted Mosby, yes,
2: yes. The what? Probably like it's weird because the first like season of that show, he's a really likable character. He is. And then as the show progresses, he becomes hands down the worst character on that show by miles, and you just want to watch everybody else and like want to fast forward through many of his scenes in the last two seasons
0: anyway. So that is our, uh, sitcom, uh, run around, uh, segue. Uh, yeah. Hit us with your opinions. Tell us how bad we suck for not, or I suck for not liking friends. Uh, I, I don't think, uh, Nathan copped not liking friends. I think he just said he hadn't watched it. So you, sh- you can be easier on him. You can send all the, the hate directly to me.
2: Then, no, no. I feel like that's a worse crime. <laughs>
0: Not having a reason, not having a reason.
2: <laughs> there, there, there's no excuse for either of you on this <laughs> one.
0: Oh. So, uh so one more uh, piece on the cast, but, uh, just to to bring this back around again, how do we feel? Like there are some really deeply ancillary characters here. How do we feel about the fact that most of this movie is done with really five or six people, but there are there are some really compelling smaller parts to this, uh, including uh, Terry Lennox, who's only in it for about three minutes. H- how are we feeling about the people they chose to play these roles and then uh, really how they uh, how they made this a movie?
2: The big one that I got to say is I'm loving the uncredited, no-line Arnold Schwarzenegger
0: part. I mean, that's a great ad. I'm I'm not sure if they knew that was going to be a great ad, but that was a phenomenal ad. Him standing there with his pants half down for like five straight minutes is so awkwardly wonderful. Like like you could almost tell that there was somebody in the background like trying to maybe like hand cue him because he didn't understand a word of what was going on at the time. Uh, Nathan, what do you think? man?
1: It's really funny how the main part of this movie is going from one completely random either small or medium part to the next and encountering all these different people who are you know there's the wacky doctor who's this like Character who seems like he might be important, but that plot doesn't seem to go too far, except as being part of one of the more major characters' backstory lines. Or you have like minor mobster Harry, who is this hapless, totally untalented guy who's told to tail Marlowe, and Marlowe just feels really bad for this guy and also is sort of enjoying having a laugh at his expense and uh, and goes so far at one point as to write down the address of where he's going so that the poor mobster won't lose him in traffic when he's trying to tail him. I just really enjoy how those parts are played.
0: So film is full of that though, right? I mean, you got your Rockos from uh, uh, Boondock Saints. I mean, you, I feel like that this is... Did this movie start the one hapless gangster?
2: No. No, no. Because you got to remember, like, in the 1950s, gangster movies were, like, very frequent. So even if a lot of them didn't stand the test of time, like you don't still watch them today, I'm sure mm-hmm. that that had already, like, happened before that. Okay. I'm just I'm certain. I've just seen a lot of 1950s crime movies.
1: <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> mean, are? bringing this sort of tying together both the characters and the plot of this movie in a way is this movie almost like distractions and red herrings colin the movie because there are so many not relating or th- there are so many pieces of this movie that don't relate to the main plot and yet we have to be suspicious of everything because that's what kind of a movie this is and all of the distractions in the case of this movie happen to be either really funny or really interesting or kind of inform some character in a really effective way. And I find that really, really great. And one of the reasons this movie is is so effective.
0: Could we call that covertly overt? Sure. No, I agree. I I think that they really do a good job at throwing these avenues at you that are all completely plausible or, you know, some part of the major plot. And then they yank it away quickly, but they do it in a smooth enough way that only in, in really retrospect, do you sit here and, and think that like, Oh, well, that really didn't have anything to do with anything. And neither did that, but it easily could have. And, and you weren't thinking that during the movie though, or at least I wasn't.
2: No. I think that the, I appreciated them showing the rehab facility and the, you know, the doctor being, you know, very controlling, trying to essentially treat this person against their will, you know? Yeah. And uh, I liked that they were shedding light on that. I thought that my understanding is the quote from the person who actually wrote the screenplay was that the book is even more like that. We're taken to Make the movie that well as the book's written that would have been five hours. So like the book's even more convoluted and winding in that way. So I think that paying, you know, the book honor in that way, that they did a really good job of having that winding, convoluted stories that really just led you at the beginning of Harry Lennox built his life.
0: So Raymond Chandler wrote the book. Are either of you familiar with his works?
2: No, sir. Uh only passing of like I knew the name. Um think I might have read one of his short ones when I was like ten. My grandmother had lots of crime novels. Well, uh, my grandmother
0: only had books that involved Fabio and kilts. So, uh, I, uh, I'm jealous of, of your grandmother's reading material. Uh, after we uh, decided to do this movie, uh, I went out and picked up the big sleep and farewell, my lovely, uh, both of which were made into films and, uh, I've only made it briefly into big sleep. So I don't have any, uh, really, uh, dramatic, uh, book information for you, but this is book six of, uh, the Philip Marlowe series. And, uh, I, I don't know, this is, this is a good thing. Like this is something that your local bookstore probably does carry. I didn't realize that this would be that popular considering the big sleep was written in 1939. Uh, but this is, this is something that, you know, that bookstores keep on the shelf. So if you do get the feeling to jump across the ceiling and read one of these books, uh, you'll likely find it in your local bookstore.
1: It's impressive to have that much longevity as an author.
0: I agree. I, I was actually surprised. I went to work specifically like, all right, what do I have to do to, to get my hands on these books? And and we actually had the first two on hand. And I was like, oh, apparently nothing. I don't have to do anything. Well, you guys uh, don't
2: know please. the famous. Like, not only was the book oh, yeah. famous, but the film was really well, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's one of the things that kind of made him more notoriety than other authors. It, oh yeah he had several movie books made into movies that did well so it's you know it's being successful in two genres gets you a lot more notoriety than successful in one.
1: Oh yeah
0: so who who could we compare a- and i'm really asking i don't have anything just off the hip on this who are we comparing raymond chandler to today so back in the 30s 40s and 50s he's had Success in film adaptations for his books. Books have longevity. I mean, I'm thinking another one from his time. It would be Ian Fleming. But who do we have now that that writes blockbusters?
2: Uh, the, the only two that I would say would be you could make the argument with Tom Clancy and John Grisham. And then okay, I think that okay. I, I don't like making this argument, but it technically is true. Uh, J.K. Rowling. No, all that's all that's excellent. So I don't I, like it because the Harry Potter series feels like something different. Technically it meets those criteria by slams up. You know what oh, I mean? Like, yeah, like, sure. like she's in that in that level she's Michael Jordan and the rest of us are you know, everybody else is like high, high school level player.
0: But I mean, couldn't you i I understand, you know, Potterdom. Like I get that, but you know, we could also say that um Veronica Roth's mo- uh, books through the all the divergent series um James Dashner for Maze Runner, Suzanne Collins for Hunger Games. Um obviously not as big as is JK Rowling cuz nothing else is. How about like I mean I Grisham's a good one in the in the mystery thriller genre. I I'm just trying to 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 dig a little bit. Uh, girl with the dragon tattoo has been pretty popular. Um, it almost seems like there's more now. Uh, now maybe that's because I didn't grow up back then, so I don't know the breadth of work that happened at that time. But uh, you know, now that I really, you know, put my mind to it, I'm thinking about just how Hollywood relies on books almost exclusively now. I'm thinking about No Country for old M- for old men. Um you know, I like the road, like there there's been a lot recently. Uh, film ad- adaptations of popular lit. Um, all almost all of Bret Easton Ellis. Yeah. Going um, like, back to earlier, I,
1: Andrew. I didn't realize that uh, Shutter Island was actually based on a book.
3: Yeah,
0: Dennis Lehan. yeah. And I bet that's not his only. I bet
2: that's not his only one. You know, I think we are getting the Juggernaut here. Yeah, go for it, Stan Lee. Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. Kind of like when you kind of think about it, like he's kind of like kicking almost everyone's butt. It's kind of amazing just how popular Marvel is.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, in that vein, if we're willing to sort of broaden out a little bit to include TV in this, I think that there is an argument to be made that, and and actually, especially in comic books specifically right now, um, there's almost this sort of territory grab of, we have all of these new, hard-edged, modern comic runs that are independent from the big Marvel and DC universe that are these Invincibles, these Jupiter's legacies, each of the boys, all these companies are realizing, Hey, there's a whole cash cow here and we need to, you know, what's our IP that we can get. And right now it seems like every comic book series is hot that way. The same way that after hunger games was really successful and, you know, that followed off of JK Rowling's work, obviously, um, in, in terms of its sort of genre placement and, you know, creating this whole, oh wait, we had one successful franchise in this young adult dystopian franchise sort of thing. Okay, we can do Maze Runner, we can do Divergent. Um and I think a lot of the time the surviving one is the original that kicked it off in the first place. But I don't know. We seem to be in a little bit of a renaissance of adaptation and media.
0: Uh, it's definitely something they lean on a lot. So to uh, to Andrew's last movie watched with Shutter Island, the following Dennis Leehan movies have been made. The Deep Blue Goodbye, Live By Night, The Drop, Shutter Island, Gone Baby Gone, Mystic River, The Town That, Dread Shut, uh, that Dreaded Sundown, and The Fence. So he has had eight Movies come out. Mister Griver blew up too, and so did Gone Baby Gone, for that
2: matter. I I also don't think I ever saw Mister River. Was it good?
1: Couldn't tell
0: you.
2: What do you watch, Nathan?
1: I am a <laughs> sci-fi
2: person. <laughs> so um, swing back to the adaptation. I feel like we don't have movies like this anymore. Like we have TV shows that are like this, but I can't like think of the last really good detective movie. Like this, that uh, I came out. Maybe they're uh, maybe they're out there, and I just haven't seen them. But I can
1: think of Knives Out, maybe, but that wasn't exactly detective.
2: It wasn't. Yeah, way. but yeah, but like that wasn't like that was almost too kitschy. It, it's not but, a noir in any way. Yes, correct. Just de- definitely, definitely not. And I was like, I was really excited for that because I heard some very good things, and it just it was okay. Like I there have not been something like this where you know like i'm like ooh, i want to watch like i want to watch that character in another movie i would love to, you know, i would have loved to have seen that there was a sequel to this with elliot gould mm,
0: perhaps so yeah a lot of uh film adaptations right now i mean in a huge way like it's definitely uh noticeable how much this stuff happens so uh going back to how uh how they have it how how you know the film we're talking about right now um how do we feel like they adapt
2: yeah. uh i think one of the things that's interesting is that because these books were so popular in you know, the time period and people actually read books um that
3: thanks andrew
2: you're welcome <laughs> you guys still sell board games and movies <laughs>
1: <laughs> there you go and probably, probably <laughs> some cds too every now and then
2: the time period even, even more people were reading books that so many people had a strong opinion about this character. And this was the last movie made of his books. And you know, this is later it's later than any of the other movies made. And so then changing character of Marlowe to something that because we haven't read the book, we all love. And think that was a great actor, right? Absolutely. So for us, we don't we think this is amazing. But there are many people who were fans of the book super excited, and then when this came out, they were pissed because they felt like the character had been changed fundamentally, because he he's a little more of a bumbling idiot, almost, in, in the oh, in Gould portrayal. That's how a lot of felt. And it's weird for me because I don't have that but I know it exists. But if you're asking me, I think they did a great job because I enjoyed the movie. This is one of those things where Look, I don't know where
0: you're getting the bumbling perspective. Like as a another watcher, if you're seeing this, you like the books, and you don't like, you know, if if that's what you saw from this movie, I don't get it. I think he's smooth criminal. I think that he's like he literally, basically knows each part of what's gonna happen to a degree before it happens. You know, he knows exactly that the doctor is in. He knows exactly how to find him. Like all the pieces of this, like he does very smoothly, but he does it under the guise of an affable guy. Like, I don't know. I just, I, I loved how he was so sneaky. I just, I felt like he was very sneaky.
1: I kind of wonder with this portrayal because it's hard. It's very hard to tell. And maybe that's kind of the point is whether the point is that his poker face is being upheld by him just always having these sort of internal monologues and side thoughts and talking to himself and doing things that seem outwardly sort of wacky. And then he actually gets into a weird situation and he's going to keep doing those things. And as a result, it just seems like he was unfazed or didn't quite catch something when in actuality, he was able to continuously use that as a cover essentially so he ends up in reality he's a lot smoother than he comes off um but definitely especially the first time i'd watched it maybe a little less ap- you know the next time um i did get the impression that he was a little bit absent minded bumbling might be the wrong word but kind of in his own head a lot
0: i think that in la if if you're a character the way this is a character I completely understand the benefit of being underestimated. His persona is someone that you would underestimate. His intelligence is something you should not. And I think that was one of the entertaining parts of this movie, because you're sitting there thinking, like, no one suspects the butterfly.
1: I think persona is the right word there. He He's cultivating a persona with which everybody perceives him. And I I don't think that it's too separate from who he really is. I don't think that he's some, you know, cold, like totally cold calculating guy who's got it all figured out from the first drop. But I do think that it's somewhere that, you know, real him is somewhere in between that and the, the bumbling facade that he puts up.
0: I could see that. I, I guess it's, it's not necessarily cold calculating. I don't think that's in him because you can rile him up. Like as soon as he gets the wife to agree that maybe your husband could have been the one that killed, like he gets excited about being right about his theories being possible or plausible. And obviously with the ending, how it was like this guy has feelings. So I don't think it's a cold and calculating thing. I think that it's a, I am an eight smart. I'm going to pretend to be a four people who know me. May or may not, you know, bounce around in between the two. But in terms of me finding out what I need to find out, what I need to know to solve, like, that's an eight. Like, he's not a rocket scientist, but you, you see what I'm saying. Like, I do think that he is cultivating a personality where people will constantly underestimate him. And that all or always or nearly always works to his benefit.
1: Is this a movie about somebody who has retreated into the persona he's made for a long enough time that he kind of starts becoming it at the beginning of the movie? He's still really smart, but he's just gotten very used to acting that way to the point that he lets one thing go a little bit too easily with giving Terry the drive and then has to work his way back out of the persona by returning to his fully smart self again by the end.
0: Andrew, you want to take that first? There you go. I... I like that idea. Um, I think that's that's got merit. I think it's more of a... He's worked himself so far... I, I want to do a hybrid. He's worked himself so much into the persona that his friends believe it too, not just his, his ad, uh, adversaries. So it's it's something that he has made part of himself, but it's only true to everybody else. Because when he goes about his business, when he goes to the hospital to question, find out if the doctor's in, find out if the guy's there, like, all of his pieces still work. Oh, yeah. Like, his game still works. So, anyway, I think, uh, you know, to your own self be true, like, he's still rocking it his way, but maybe what he puts out to make his job easier has also... um, incorporated in with how his friends view him as well
1: yeah it is interesting during the interrogation scene in the beginning as he's you know he's kind of mocking the police for everything that they're doing and i'm sure in some level of improvised just messing around with the with all the fingerprint stuff and making these jokes about being a football player and wiping the fingerprint ink all over his face and preparing for that kind of thing But there comes a point in that scene when all of a sudden he's told, oh, Terry Lennox's wife is dead, and his whole aspect changes. And it's like, okay, he's turning something on. And then he immediately goes to the restaurant, makes a call, and is on the case, and everything from that moment forward is just like, okay, he knew exactly who to talk to. He knew that this person knew the Lennox's and he knew that this person would need him to solve a minor case for her or something. And it's pretty clear that that is a genius move to start.
0: Agreed. So as far as how this director took this work and basically you know, did his own piece to it, how
2: are we feeling about the, the directing of this film? I like it. I like that he took the time to give us these... What some people might view as like mildly mundane scenes but that I view as character building. Sure. The grocery store, the everything with the cat, those kind of sure. things. I think that the director did a really solid job. Make me want to watch something else. This. I'm not sure what else he's done. Check it out.
3: Uh,
0: just to toss a few out there, we've got, uh, I'm going to go through some decades here. The Delinquents, Thieves Like Us, 1974 on that one. Uh, that's one I've seen. Um, Beyond Therapy, 87, Shortcuts, Kansas City, Gingerbread Man, and Gosford Park, most recently in 2001. Mm, Okay, so none of those sounded... Is these Like Us good? Yeah. I mean, it's watchable. I'll tell you something right ahead. I got better at watching older movies by doing this podcast. Uh, I used to have a kind of a stigma about older movies where I had a difficult time watching... uh, I guess uh, production value versus overacting and that kind of piece. And then I found some gems doing this, and I've really gotten into it recently. I guess would be what I'd say on his uh, past work. I did enjoy Thieves Like Us. Did anybody want to comment on the uh, past work's...
1: Yeah, these are not movies that I've watched. Uh I don't think I've mentioned this on this episode yet, but this is really my first noir type film, and so I'm pretty new to this.
0: If you like this, I have a laundry list to send you. <laughs> this is this is one of my genres. Did this you ever is, see Wild's one of my
2: genres? No. no. Watch Wild. One of the I would it's say not. No. Andrew, stop. <laughs> it's, it's it not, Are you I mean,
1: trying uh, to make me not want to watch noir
0: is, films or something? Not... No, it's it's not one of the best movies i will ever see <laughs> It's a
2: very no, no, entertaining no, 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 movie. No, no, no. It's, no, no it's, it's a really good <laughs> film noir movie, though. I think it's actually, I'm okay. not kidding. I liked the wild being just a film noir movie. It's not one like of the best movies you'll ever see. Yeah. Did I say that? Okay, right. but it's an no, excellent. Uh, movie.
0: I just, I just got this feeling. I was like, okay, let's. Let's not put these two films
2: in the same ballpark. Let's, no, 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 no. no. Just, just I, like, I, I like film noir. I feel like they don't make it all that often nowadays. So that's one of the most recent examples of a, of a good job of it. It's recent, set in recent times. Because oftentimes when they make it nowadays, they make it set 70 years ago, right? Mm.
0: Oh, I hear you. But let me remind you of our own podcast on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang.
2: I think you're higher ending than I
0: Wow, Crickets?
2: Oh, I love that movie.
0: Uh, So how do we feel about the atmosphere of this movie? Do you think it's uh, agreeably
1: sinister? You know, I'm going to start off with a discovery that I made just before bringing this podcast up. So I'm often the soundtrack guy for you guys. And one of the things that... I really enjoy about this movie is that it has this through line of a theme that gets it keeps coming back but it's always played differently sometimes it's soundtrack being played but maybe it's sort of coming out of a radio sometimes it's like a doorbell that somebody is ringing sometimes it's a piano player at a bar who's learning a song to try to bring in more patrons and it's a melancholy song that really sets the tone in a really cool way and it was written by John Williams of all people. This is a John Williams soundtrack movie, and I would never have guessed.
0: Andrew, how are you feeling about the atmosphere?
2: Uh, I really enjoyed the, the same song over and over, but in different ways. I enjoyed that, and it, it, I thought that it, it was excellent, and I thought it added a lot to the movie. Uh, I enjoyed living out in Southern California. I. I think it did a pretty good job of representing Southern California. Admittedly, I wasn't there in the 70s, so I don't really know. But
1: One thing that I was I would observe about this movie is that while it has a lot of scenes at night and other things like that, everything is colorized, or, or the color in this movie, the color balancing and toning of, of everything, it always feels very real. Like, there's nothing that feels overly cinematic about anything in a way that makes everything feel sort of honest and like this is actually happening to somebody and this is actually la and this is actually like not you know we're we're not hamming it up in any way a lot of modern movies love to put a pretty strong color grading tone over things so oh it's melancholy so the whole movie is going to be a little bit blue and oh this is a cool exciting movie so everything's going to be slightly red or something so uh i i appreciate that
0: jj J. abrams lens flares
1: lens yes, flares. yes
0: lens flares
1: it's the future the future is full of lens flares <gasps> or
0: michael bay car blowing up and flipping over <laughs> michael bay explosion um no, you're 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 right. Uh, I I actually was uh thinking about this film in terms of how I've watched a lot of Dirty Harry movies. I I don't feel like, given its its nature, it didn't try too hard to be dark or light, or it, I felt like it was natural to when things were happening. Like it's it's an entertaining piece when you can have a real life film. Like you watch a lot of films and it's doctored. You can tell it's doctored. You're just like, all right, this is is a polished cinematic experience. But sometimes you just want some real stuff. And this is a real stuff movie. And I appreciated that. Very much so. Yeah. I will say one thing. In terms of set location, could you derive... Now, I understand film does a lot of things. If you've ever watched any cop show where they're driving cars way beyond their pay grade, you'd understand. In terms of set location... He has to be a pretty darn good private investigator to have the apartment where he has now. Andrew, you're in Long Beach. Can you uh, go in
2: a little bit more on this? He's in Malibu, right? Isn't that where it says? I, I think the Malibu something. Uh, Malibu the I mean, it's in the hills. Yeah. So no, no, no. Whoa, okay. So I'm pretty sure it's. I'm pretty sure it said Malibu. Um, He's in a raised area in L.A. <laughs> That's all I got. It is expensive, but understand that for that neighborhood and that time period, the idea that he's, like, him living in an apartment is kind of a sign that he's not
1: well to go. Are you sure that he's renting? Because there's a line at the beginning where he says, oh, throw it. He says to the, the girls who are his neighbors, oh, throw the the brownie tab onto next month's bill. So I got the impression they were renting from
2: him. But I could be wrong. I, I, I so I got the impression that part of the you know the idea was that he's not that like he's not that successful a private life. Like he's, the business has been okay. struggling a little bit, and like he's not starving, you know. But he's not like raking it in. Either.
0: I guess I, my first thought when I saw like his view, his apartment, like I I was just thinking. Well, yeah, we should all be so lucky. Now, again, I, I'm, dude, I watched Nash Bridges and I was like, dude, how the hell are you driving this car or driving, you know, or driving this car in this city with a police station on the docks, like wharf district. Like I get it. It's Hollywood. but I did get the feeling that the money was there. Now, how he lived with that money is different. Like he did not exude wealth from the interior of his apartment. Yes. But the location of his apartment, top floor overlooking the valley, was, I, I felt like a understated earmark for I do our, I mean, I feel like at that point in time, if you take an elevator up to your apartment, it has an elevator. That's probably a better than average
2: game. Guy. Dude, so the 1970s. I, like, all has been around for old, since like old, you know, what, late 1800s?
1: Well, whatever we think of his well to do ness, I will say it does make for some beautiful cinematography and shots because all of those bridges and all of the scenes of sunrise and sunset from that loft, it looks pretty great.
2: It is. It's pretty great together.
1: So let's go. Let's, uh, yeah. A-
0: Andrew knows firsthand. You should do a uh, glamour shot from his apartment. If that area still exists, you should go up there, take a picture, and post it to our posting of this okay. podcast. That would be awesome. i, I actually love to see it. I'll find out
2: if it's, uh, it's what for you, All
0: right, let's go into some superlatives, guys. All right, we've got an MVP. Who was the best of the best in this film? I go
2: first go you go for it he's just you know he's he's a great actor he clearly knew what he wanted to do to the character and he did it
1: that is a great choice that is a great choice and you know he's i guess what i would say my actual mvp is like if we're really doing this but because i'm so excited by this and because i think it really does set the tone for this movie I'm going to say it's the long goodbye song because from uh, the, ice. the opening scene and the car is going along, it's, it just tells you exactly what kind of mood you should be in and what the world view of this is going to be.
0: I love the dice roll on that. That's excellent. Uh, I am also going with Elliot Gould. I I had a really, really good time with this part, uh, the, what he exuded doing the part, um, obviously enough to, to pick up two of the books. And, and And start in on that uh it, it's a deep rabbit hole. it really is a deep rabbit hole. I don't know I my only uh side point on what Andrew said earlier, just to stir up those friends people again, is uh how are you gonna say it's friends, man? It's obviously oceans, all the oceans movies.
2: most of America I'll say who is that They would go that's Monica and Ross's dad no. yes no
3: tell us
0: america tell us on our website (laughs) tell us on facebook tell us on twitter that i'm wrong all right so who's our best supporting actor
1: nathan i'm gonna go with nita fan pallant as eileen wade i think that she does a really fantastic job of being this mysterious figure who seems on the surface like she's in one situation but maybe knows a little bit more than she's letting on and is also trying to figure out Marlo at the same time that he's trying to figure her out and I think you can see all of that in her performance and it really makes a lot of this movie work
2: Andrews slingshot to you I'm going to go with her husband, although I think it's pretty close, I think they both uh, bring a lot to the movie and I think that he being such an angry drunkard, you know and he just really goes into the role very well, and he just, I, like, I, like, he, did, he seems like an active person. You know what I mean? Like, I believe that person exists. Mm-hmm. Great. Right. To me, that's, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty high praise. For, you know, supporting actors who do that, that's their job. That's, you know, that's killing it. So, uh, I, I went
0: with, uh, Von Plant to uh, Nina. I actually like her, Parrying his actions as an equally good representation of his actions. It's very interesting to have, you know, a, it, it's like if you went to a guy and said, okay, you're going to play a drunk. And your wife is kind of scared of you sometimes when you're doing some certain things and he does those certain things and then she has to react to it. It's almost like a times two or a, 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 an exponent to how she acts because she has to react to his reactions. So I, I went with her as well. Uh, who's our
1: hidden gem for this? Nathan. Nathan. So, my hidden gem for this movie, I mentioned it earlier, one of my favorite exchanges in this whole movie, and it's followed up by some of the most comedic parts of this movie. It's going to be the hapless mobster Harry, played by David Arkin.
2: Excellent. And Andrew? Uh, My hidden gems, I I think that that scene is funny. I think it's excellent in terms of, uh, you know, somebody who goes on to such... Movie star thing, having this this small little part where they don't even speak, and it just this man, yeah. But even in that little part, you know, if you didn't know, at the, you know, if you at that point in time if you didn't know who Ron Schwarzenegger was, I'm pretty sure you would have been like, that dude is massive, you know. So how, how much
3: fun he, he he
2: is a figure that stands out particularly at that kind of time when he's in the best shape
0: of his life. How much fun would it have been during his gubernatorial race just to post him with his pants around his knees and say, <laughs> you know what you're voting for. I mean, um, you know, you, you just do
1: a little bit of switching switching out who's playing what roles and you very quickly get the, I need to take off all of your clothes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I had to go with uh, Jim Bhutan on this one. Just, it's fun, fun to, to have a Yankees pitcher <laughs> in this movie. I mean, this is one of the guys that brought you Big League Jew. Now, as a kid who grew up around people, you know, doing various, various tobacco, tobacco products, it's an interesting thing for me to see a guy who really, like, invented the children's way out on this. Like, I actually think this is one of the few, like, Kids, don't do it. Try this instead. It's bubblegum. It's fine. So, I, I think you could take it the other direction, too. But either way, I I, uh, I give him my, my nod. Did he play? Oh, he was Terry. Okay, that's what I thought. Terry we Lennox. Uh-huh. We didn't actually say that. So, so, Terry Lennox, the connection that you
2: made pretty listeners. Awesome.
0: That's the fun thing. About so many movies that are actually good, like really good movies... Like you forget about parts. You forget about things that, that amped you up where you're like, Oh my gosh, I forgot about that part. That was awesome too. Like I would also give that credibility. So uh, on that note, if you had to pull it back down and recast one person, Nathan, who are you recasting?
1: I am going to take us on a little bit of a back in time tangent here because the listeners don't know this yet, but this is the second time that we're recording this podcast. And last time, we went to some, let's say, interesting analytical places with how we were analyzing the characters of this movie. And I just want to bring back one element, my favorite element of what that review was, which is the cat-based character analysis of Marlowe. Because we went through this incredibly deep... Rabbit hole of how does Marlowe's treatment of his cat and his whole crazy adventure at the beginning of the movie and the way that he acts during those things how does that inform his character and whether he is really a bumbling idiot or actually just smoothly sneaking around as a genius so you know what I'm going to say that this cat needs a little bit more props and I'm going to do a modern recasting sort of modern recasting it's not a it's not quite recent but uh let's get uh let, let's get a famous cat into this so i want to see grumpy cat in this cat role with a big frowny face every time that the fake cat food gets brought up so grumpy cat aka tartar sauce apparently is the name <laughs> Tartar. Sauce. let's get that cat in this role to oh give Marlowe the full effect of his disapproval <laughs>
2: andrew <laughs> your, <laughs> your, thoughts. I, <laughs> um, I feel like that as good as the wife is, I feel like that there are other actresses at that time period who could have brought a little more to the role. Like, at some point she seemed a little too subdued for me. I, and I, again, I think that seem I think, I'm not sure if her or if it was directing choice, but like, I'm not saying she was bad. But you gotta pick something. I think that we could probably get you can get something better from that time period. And uh, I'll go a little off the wall here, but she did end up winning Best Actress, uh, Cher. Ooh, okay.
1: Brian, what about you? Alright, I
0: had a completely different recast for this, but I'm going back into the cat. I want to cast Homeward bounds on Sally field for the cat. Just, just, since, <laughs> just since we're, we're going to be there. We're going to be there around this. I mean, let's, let's, re, let's recast a cat for a cat. And it's Sally
1: field. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the worst part is I actually I, think I, this cat it. does a very good job in this movie. I mean, this, this cat, <laughs> this cat does everything. He jumps on furniture. He jumps onto Marlowe. he, Pesters mm-hmm. him in really effective ways. The handlers who trained this cat were
2: very good. Guys, we're gonna rip out the, the cat the correct option, Professor McGonable. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> Marlo's real is secret for
0: how for how he knows. Well the cat the cat does have zero lines. This is this is all just a let's push the cat forward. Like this is all pushing the cat forward. So <laughs> going forward.
2: <laughs> I like the cat uh, you like the sound cat. like you're about to do something really bad to a cat like you're gonna shove it out of way <laughs> oh,
1: wait I, don't well, put I'm that just, in my I'm head now i'm gonna to wonder if that's what happened to the cat
0: <laughs> the cat the cat's just there now like it's 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 what's the cat so uh best shot not involving a cat
1: nathan You know, this one is going to have to do with the crazy scene where Roger Wade walks into the sea, and you just get this frantic scene where very gradually they realize both Eileen Wade and Philip Marlowe realize what's going on, and you're seeing them sort of standing in the window with the reflection of... Roger Wade walking into the sea in the window behind them and it's a really, really cool shot composition that was going on there.
0: Excellent. Andrew?
3: Best
1: shot? Well, Marvel. Bang! Best shot taken by Best <laughs> Best shot.
2: There you go, so Oh Zing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so that's what my answer is. Well, I was run right? <laughs> <Best shot. laughs> Uh, ooh, ooh, ooh. You know I've got to drop a pun when I can. Come
0: <laughs> on. <laughs> so best scene, best long term, five to twenty five second.
1: Where is it at? I'm gonna have to go for the initial police interrogation scene. Actually, this this might be a little bit sort of weird to go for something so close to the beginning. And this isn't to say that there aren't awesome scenes later in the movie. But on my rewatch, I I just feel like this scene really set a great tone for Marlowe's character where he is deliberately hamming things up, he's making the police feel uncomfortable by acting in a really crazy way, and even some of the police are like, Oh my gosh, this guy's making fun of my my superior and you know what? He's the cool one. And uh and then they drop the the bomb on him that is Terry Lennox's wife is dead and instantly his behavior changes and he goes into the I must defend Terry Lennox mode that he ends up in for a lot of the rest of the movie, and for just a moment the mask that he has slips and he gets really serious, and I think that that really sets a tone for the rest of what goes forward. So that is the scene that I'm going to pick, the police interrogation scene.
2: Andrew, what's up, man? I think that I really enjoyed everything that happened with the psychiatric hospital. I think that whole interplay shows a lot of things. Um, it ends up being central to how we ultimately find out about the Wade's, a little bit at least, but also the crazy shrink that works there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just the interaction between Mr. Wade and the doctor. Uh Then when uh, Marlowe comes in to get him out, just the way he does that, I, I thought that whole thing was up.
0: So I, uh, I really like the mobsters coming upstairs trying to prod him into his own place. They're all completely distracted by the exhibitionists that live next door to him. And they're trying to be hard on him. Like, they're they're trying to be like, yeah, talk. Now, the cat's already run off. and And that's a piece of this. Like, they can't be nasty to his animal, which I appreciate. And they're trying to be hard on him while watching exhibitionist women across the hallway. And he's like trying to bring back attention. He's like, no, no, we're being hard on this guy. And they're like, but boss, I mean, (laughs) that whole part is, I feel like that is also an extenuation of his plan. Like, I don't know that that was a thing that he had in mind ahead of time. You think but this how is why Marlo lives sh- here? Yeah. Like, how are you going to shoot a guy in the head when you have a bunch of girls doing
2: naked Yoda outside? Right? Like, okay, so I have not found where the perfect done, where women are doing naked yoga outside, since living in Southern California. But if <laughs> the listeners want to let us know if there's a place where this is occurring, we would be more than happy to receive that information have well, you gone a to
1: bunch. a candle dipping shop and asked I mean,
2: <laughs>
1: how
0: ninja is it to be like i'm gonna have a couple girls who are attractive doing half nude to full nude whatever outside you'll never really be able to shoot me in the head out here because you're gonna be a little bit distracted i i just feel like everything there is part of i think you might be giving him a
2: little too much credit but
0: that's fine that's fine if i am but if he is thinking hey this worked out me for me in this one instance let's keep
1: a good thing rolling true harry the hapless mobster never had a chance (laughs) are you seeing these girls (laughs) like he's he's seeing them do these That's calisthenics great. and and in his mind he's like i could do something like that and then he tries to follow <laughs> marlo into the the clinic or or no to the uh to the wade's house and and so he tries to jump up on the door thinking yeah i can do this gymnastics thing and then the door is just not locked and it swings open <laughs> on him in that wonderful bit of physical comedy you just come back in
0: <laughs> all right With the wardrobe makeup, do we feel like
1: they did something special here, Nathan? You know what? I'm going to call out that hilarious scene with the mobsters and the whole, yeah, you know, let's be honest with, with each other. That means we should all be naked with each other scene. That is just such a out of left field, what the heck is this movie at this point kind of scene that's just, uh, it... Again, one of many, many extremely memorable things about this movie that just make you go like, how did you come up with this stuff? This is this is just wacky and hilarious and just crazy.
0: I'm actually glad you brought that up because has there let's let's go into this deep dive. Has there ever been an instance in mobster movies where... The head guy said something as insane as, oh, maybe we just all need to be naked together. Now, this is the 70s. I, I, I get it. We can have fun. But I, I feel like movies involving gangsters always try to push an envelope of a place where they say, okay, there's a reason this guy's the boss. There's a reason that people fear him. So this guy brings him and he says, yeah, I want you naked in front of me. I want, I'm going to be naked in front of you. You're going to be naked in front of me. I want to know that you have nothing to hide. Like that seems like an honest, crazy gangster moment to me based on the stuff that we've seen with, uh, yeah, the departed Godfather, etc. Like, crazy questions get asked when you're under the hot light. So, is this that crazy?
2: I don't often have people asking me to take my clothes off, if that's what you're asking. Yeah, it's a little weird.
1: That is a pretty unique hot light. It's like that classic nightmare that all mainstream media seems to be convinced that everybody has about, you know, showing up in like a classroom naked at some <laughs> point, except in reverse. Okay. Well,
0: under that, guys, if we had to change one thing, What are we changing?
2: Andrew? I wouldn't mind this being a five-hour movie. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, nowadays we get things that are done and, you know, they tell the story, right? They they tell the story whenever, you know, if it's a two-episode or a three-episode, something like that. If it's two and a half hours, whatever, they get what they tell the story to have. And I think that you can make this movie out of the actual book, you know what I mean? Tell the actual story written there but I don't mind being updated. I don't mind the Marlowe update, but just tell the story that was written in the 50s or for the 1970s and make it five hours. I think that it would be probably a masterpiece. Okay. Nathan?
1: In continuation of a discussion that I had earlier, there is one loose thread in this movie that I really just want solved. What happened to the cat? I want to know. i'm desperate to know i still also don't know what happened like where the three hundred fifty thousand dollars from the money came from in order to save marlo's life at that one point i never figured that out i searched long and hard and maybe i'm dumb for that but i just could not figure out a clear reason but i want to know where the cat came you know where's the cat
0: (laughs) where's the cat i killed your cat (laughs) i'm My knee jerk reaction is to go straight into Boondocks, and hey, it's there.
1: Um. <laughs> you just, you know, Marlo gets there at the very end, and uh, Lennox turns around and has the cat in his in his arms. He's like, "Yes, I stole your cat. Somehow, I don't know how."
2: <laughs> Ooh, left left field. But what if uh, they got the cat from Austin Powers? Got the <laughs> cat. <laughs> Or or James Bond, they
0: all have names,
2: gents. They
1: all have names.
0: <laughs> oh goodness gracious!
1: All right. <laughs> best quote, Nathan. I just love the exchange with Harry. Harry, I'm proud to have you following me. Hey, nice guy. Harry responds as Marlowe drives off. Andrew, I did not have a best quote for this
2: one. Ah, uh, it wasn't for me. There wasn't a quote that uh, stuck out that way. It was just uh you know, a lot of uh, seemed memorable, but there wasn't one quote that like you know the, the music probably is the quote.
3: There one is quote. a long goodbye. <laughs>
2: For the people,
0: I will auto correct myself on the or auto censor myself. It's my my you are a pretty arshole. <laughs> Alright,
1: so on a rating. Since we have half-star increments, I'm giving this uh, three and a half stars. This is a fun movie for me. It's not something that I'm necessarily going to, you know, rush to come back to. Um, It doesn't leave me deeply thoughtful in a way more than just things are depressing and people are ultimately (laughs) more, you know, self-centered and narcissistic than you want to believe them to be. So in you know, it is it is a successful noir film, I suppose, in that way. But uh, three and a half stars, it's 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 a
2: good film. Andrew Newman. I'm going to go four and a half stars, and I have to disagree with what you just said there, Nathan. This movie is completely uplifting. You just <laughs> talked about a guy who lives next door where there are exhibitionists doing naked yoga. Like, come on, man. Like, how is that not uplifting? Our main character figures everything out, and he lives next door to that. Like, how is that not an uplifting positive movie? It's fair to say that he is winning at the end of this movie. It's fair to say that
0: he
1: is winning. And yet he can still be one-upped by random people at the checkout line at the grocery store. When he goes to get cat food at three in the morning, you got a cat. No, I got a girl. (laughs) He has (laughs) who he wants Yankee doodles from.
0: Well, listen, thank you guys for listening. A reminder, all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, we invite invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you, especially about friends. Uh, Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. Give us a like on Facebook or a thumbs down. Please give me personally the thumbs down if it's a friend's thing. Uh, the, the podcast doesn't deserve it. Uh, follow us on Twitter at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. Producing and providing this podcast is fun but not free. We invite you to support the show at Patreon page www. Patreon.com slash Retro Movie Roundtable. Any contribution is much appreciated and will go to making the show better for you and listeners. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Decency and integrity are fancy words, but they never keep anyone well fed. And I've got quite an appetite.